0: Hello guys, and welcome back to another episode of Listen to Less. If you are new here, hi, hey, how you doing? I'm glad to have you. I'm glad you are listening. So today we're going to talk about how to track your cycle. So today's going to be another solo episode, a little bit more education based. I don't really have a ton to update you on, on my Like my labs or my gut health journey, I did. I am currently in kind of my like parasite kill off phase. Have started the supplements of that. Not feeling great not feeling great. I just feel very nauseous um, a lot of the time. And that's normal. Usually when you're going through, if you have parasites um, and you are going through a kill-off phase, there's something called die-off. And if you think about parasites, parasites are kind of, I like to think of them like a leech. They leech on to a lot of different things in in your body, one being your... Nutrients. So they're kind of absorbing the nutrients that you should be absorbing from your food can leave you with a lot of vitamin deficiencies, but they can also hold on to different bacteria and viruses. So when you start to kill them off, they're going to start excreting a lot of toxins into your bloodstream and you can feel really crappy. You can have like some major full or full flu like symptoms when you are actively killing off parasites. And that's another huge reason why. I hate when I see people just randomly talking about how they bought like a parasite kit on TikTok and they're just doing it for funsies and they have no clue if they even have parasites or how to do it. Because it's if you genuinely have parasites and you start killing them off, usually you don't feel very good while you go through it. Um, and you need to be doing that type of protocol for like two to three months in order to really have it be effective. Plus, The fact that you're feeling like crap when you're doing this, you need to make sure that you spend some time opening detox pathways and making sure that your liver is in really good condition, very much supported before you just jump into killing off pathogens. Because if you don't, you will probably feel very crappy going through it. But other than that, that's kind of my only personal update. I did start a new course this week. So it's called FDN and it stands for Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. It is a 12-month course. I have 12 months to complete it and it's a lot of coursework. There's a lot of coursework. I have at the end of going through all of the coursework, I have about two months of um, like practical exams, written exam, and a oral exam that I will have to pass in order to get that title of practitioner. But I am pretty excited. I So far, I'm loving the material and it's just helping me further my education and build up my credentials, which is awesome. So I'll be doing that this year. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited about it. But enough about me. Let's talk about how do you track your ovulation? Because I know that there's a lot of confusion. And this is one of those topics that I feel like I talk about it a lot, but at the same time I have new people, you know, listening to me coming into my world all the time. So not everybody like not everybody has under or, you know, watched my content to fully understand the concept of tracking ovulation. So If you haven't listened to, I think it was episode number three, about like what should your period look like, what should your cycle look like, understanding the phases of your cycle, go back and listen to that first before you listen to this episode. Because if you don't, things might not make sense. We're going to touch briefly on the phases of your cycle before we jump into how to track. But you need to go listen to that episode for a full breakdown on what your cycle entails, what's going on inside of your cycle. All right, so we have the phases of our cycle, right? So let's briefly go over those. We have the three main phases. So you've got your follicular phase, right? So follicular phase is day one through ovulation or up until ovulation. That also includes your period. So day one of your follicular phase is the same day as day one of your cycle, also day one of your period, okay? A new cycle starts the first day you start bleeding. So that's your follicular phase. Then you have ovulation, which this could be anywhere from day 14 to 18, maybe even later or earlier, depending on who you are and when you specifically ovulate. But it's typically in the middle of your cycle, somewhere in there. And it is only a 24-hour event once you release an egg from your the follicle in your ovary that was most mature, that follicle then turns into the corpus luteum. And if that egg that it was released does not get fertilized from sperm, then and you get pregnant, then it kind of disintegrates um, and is absorbed by the tissues, and some of that tissue kind of flushes out with your period. So your corpus luteum is what then is going to release progesterone and that is what's going to put you into your luteal phase. Just a reminder that if you are on hormonal birth control, this does not happen for you. You do not you're not ovulating, you're not releasing eggs, you're not having a true period and you're not going through all of these different phases of your cycle. So today we're going to focus on ovulation and the days leading up to ovulation. So there's a couple different parameters that we can look at for that five to six day ovulatory or fertile window, okay? So if you ever see somebody say, you're only fertile for like six days out of the month. Technically, very technically speaking, you're only actually fertile for 24 hours after that egg is released until that egg does not get fertilized and it starts to kind of break itself down. So that's the only time you're actually fertile. The reason that there's about a six day window of opportunity is because sperm can live in the reproductive tract for up to five to six days. So if you ovulate on Friday, but you have unprotected sex on Monday, then that sperm can live in you. And then you release an egg on Friday during ovulation and it fertilizes that egg and you become pregnant, right? So I feel like I should touch on this too. It's I believe it is important for you to ovulate, even if you don't want to get pregnant, because that's how we produce progesterone. So if you're not ovulating, then you're not getting that progesterone. And the progestin that is in hormonal birth control is not the same. It has none of the benefits that our naturally created natural progesterone has natural progesterone is very anti-inflammatory it's very calming it's pro thyroid hormone pro metabolism progestin doesn't do any of that for us progestin is actually very much more like a an androgen hormone or like a testosterone and we know when we have too much of that in our system too much testosterone t- ugh, testosterone or androgens as females we develop a lot of issues, right? So that kind of gives you some insight as to why a lot of people have issues on birth controls, more specifically birth controls that are very high doses of progestin-based birth controls. There's a huge rate of anxiety and depression with these types of birth controls because of the progestin that is being used in that type of birth control. So I'll get off my soapbox there. But that's why it's important to ovulate, even if you don't want to get pregnant, because you're just like skipping out on half of your whole menstrual cycle, well, not your menstrual cycle, your monthly cycle, and you're not getting any natural progesterone. And so that can leave you feeling depressed, it can leave you feeling anxious, it can um, actually affect your thyroid and your metabolism. And so those aren't things that we want to sign up for for decades of our life, right? That's why, kind of why I got off birth control, because I was like, man you know, I know there's an easier, well, maybe it's not easier. Once you get used to it, it's pretty easy, but there's a better way to prevent myself from getting pregnant, but also not stripping myself of my natural hormone production that helps me to feel like a human, right? So going back to your cycle, sorry, I am a little bit scatterbrained today. I'm a little bit all over the place, but We have that six-day window where sperm can live in the reproductive tract, and then the day of ovulation, you could become pregnant. So that's that's like the time frame of where you want to be paying attention to things. And we're gonna really kind of pay attention um, to cervical mucus, to your symptoms, potentially uh, luteinizing hormone test strips, and then we're also going to take our temperature. Now it sounds like a lot, it sounds like you're doing a lot in order to just figure out when this ovulation day is. Once you start doing it and once you get used to it, it's like nothing. Like I don't even, I do all of these things and I don't even think twice about it. Like it's just part of my day. It's just, It's takes less time for me to do all of these steps than it does to brush my teeth. I have an electric toothbrush that goes for two minutes and it takes me less time to do all of this tracking of my ovulation than it does to brush my teeth just in the morning. Like it's even less time compared to if I'm brushing my teeth morning and night, because that's four minutes, you know? So it's really, really not that difficult. If you are someone that is has recently got off of birth control, When you get off of birth control or if you haven't even, you know, you've been off birth control for a while or you've never been on birth control, but you have irregular cycles or maybe missing cycles, these steps may not be as accurate and you're gonna have to be a little bit more cautious um, of having unprotected sex if you are not trying to get pregnant, right? So the big one is when you're coming off of birth control. I suggest that you fully understand how to track all of these metrics before you, you know, jump ship and get your IUD taken out or you don't go back for another shot or you stop taking your pill. Make sure you understand these metrics and you get test strips. You get like the app on your phone to start logging your symptoms and your discharge, you get the thermometer so that you can start doing that as soon as you stop your birth control. You could do it while you're on birth control, but you're not ovulating. So you're not really going to see any of these metrics show up while you're ovulating. It might be very random um, and kind of difficult to understand because you're not ovulating, but it gives you the practice of you know getting in the habit of doing these things on a daily basis, right? And then also just note that While your cycle is regulating post-birth control or while you're going through a healing journey to kind of regulate your um, irregular cycles from PCOS or whatever it may be, you need to give yourself some time for your cycle to regulate. Because if your cycle is irregular, then some of these metrics might be a little bit off and you need to be extra cautious if you're not trying to get pregnant. Because remember, what comes first before your period, ovulation. So if you have an irregular cycle or you haven't gotten a cycle yet, you are gonna ovulate and then get your period, right? So if you're not careful, then you could get pregnant before you even have your first period, if that makes sense. Okay, so the first thing I wanna talk about is just the symptoms leading up to ovulation. So this is when we're in our follicular phase. So estrogen is high. This is where estrogen's the dominant hormone. And the closer that you get to your ovulation day, the higher estrogen is, and so is testosterone. Okay, Now, testosterone is responsible for giving us our libido. It's not the only hormone responsible, but women definitely notice, and men too, if they have low testosterone, libido tends to diminish. So start paying attention. If you are getting to like your period's over, so now you're in that end of your follicular phase where this five-day window is, right? If you start feeling a little bit frisky, you're feeling a little bit more turned on, you're, you know, just you're you're feeling a little bit more in the mood, you're feeling a little bit more frisky, you're thinking about sexual activities a little bit more, that's a good sign that you're getting closer to ovulation because if we think about it in a primal sense, our body wants us to procreate. Why else would we have a cycle every single month as females? Why would we have that if our body didn't want us to procreate? So your body's going to kind of put you in the mood to do the act that is required to procreate. So start paying attention to that That symptom, right? How is your libido? Check in on it. I notice like when I am getting close, my libido skyrockets. And then afterwards, it's not that it completely goes away, but I'm less likely to initiate sex than I am leading up to ovulation. Okay. So it's, you know, when you have a regular cycle, it's pretty easy to notice that. So that's one of the symptoms. The other thing is just your energy levels are going to be a lot higher leading up to ovulation because of the testosterone, because of estrogen. So when those hormones are peaking, you're going to feel like the most energetic of your cycle. And just knowing, you know, after tracking for a couple of months, like, okay, I regularly ovulate around day 18. So it's day 16. So I am really close to ovulation, right? Once you get in a pattern and you start to really understand your body, tracking that ovulation is going to be a lot easier because you're going to see the patterns. You're going to know, okay, it's around this day of the month. So it's coming up. Side tangent here, your period does not necessarily coincide with the day of the month. Remember that not all months have the same amount of days or weeks in it. And I know a lot of women get really confused. And when I ask them, where are you at in your cycle? They're like, I don't know, but it's supposed to start on the first. And they tell me that it's irregular because maybe it started on the second or the third or the fourth of the month instead of the first. But just remember, if you're not on birth control, you don't have a solid like four week schedule, you're not on that schedule anymore. And there's different amounts of days in each month. So it's normal for your period. Like it does not coincide with the days of the actual calendar year. So that's kind of like not a great way to track it. And sorry, I'm, getting, I'm going on a side tangent here, but Just know that your period can be regular, even though it doesn't always land on the first of every single month, um, because there's different amounts of days in the month, okay? All right, so moving on, we talked about some symptoms that correlate with ovulation. So next, let's talk about cervical mucus, okay? Also known as discharge. And if you were someone that was on birth control and then recently got off, you'll notice that off of birth control, you have a lot more discharge than you did while you were on birth control. This is because the rise in estrogen that's happening in your late follicular phase while you're getting close to ovulation is responsible for changing that cervical mucus, okay? So when there's not a ton of estrogen, we're considered in more of a dry phase. So even your period is considered, quote unquote, a dry phase, even though you're bleeding, but blood is not Considered a lubricant, so it is considered a dry phase. Okay, so because estrogen is lower, as estrogen starts to increase, it your cervical mucus is going to get more watery, more stretchy, kind of like that egg white material. And I'm talking raw egg whites. When I first learned that discharge was supposed to look like egg whites, I don't know why, but my mind went to like cooked egg whites and. Then I realized if my discharge looked like cooked egg whites, that was an infection, that wasn't normal. So just know I'm talking about raw egg white material. So when you start to notice cervical mucus or discharge, and I'm talking like you don't have to look up there, but when you're wiping or in your underwear, if it's kind of like dry, you don't have any, or it's really thick, it's really tacky and almost like kind of like ball-like, that means you are you may not be in that five-day window yet. That just means that you're not necessarily fertile yet. This could be in your early follicular phase or in your luteal phase. But pay attention because as that cervical mucus starts to change and it starts to become more stretchy, it becomes watery. It becomes like that raw egg white material. I'm... I am an open book, guys. I really hope that like Drew's mom's not listening to this Um, or my mom. Mom, please don't listen to this. But I notice when I am entering that five-day window, there is a day every month where I have to change my underwear multiple times because it is like a freaking waterfall in there. It's just, I am so, it's like, I'm so wet. Like it just, it's just falling out of me like water and I, it's uncomfortable. And I feel like I peed my pants. I didn't pee my pants, but I have to literally change my underwear once or twice a day because it's just so wet. Now that doesn't happen to everybody. And I'm just talking like, I'm not aroused. I'm just like sitting there doing work and it's just like, oh my God, what's coming out of me? Um, But yeah, so that would mean that I am entering my fertile day a uh, fertile five-day window, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that that's the day I'm ovulating, but I'm getting really close to ovulation, okay? So, noticing those changes, that's one way that you can see when you are getting really close to ovulation. Next, we have your luteinizing hormone. So, if you remember from um, episode three, We talked about the different phases and the hormones that accompany them. And we talked about as estrogen rises, it signals your brain to release a hormone called luteinizing hormone, also known as LH. LH then tells the follicle that is the most mature to release an egg. So when LH peaks, that means you're going to ovulate or release an egg within the next about 36 hours. Now, it is possible to have a peak and not ovulate, but if you are regularly ovulating, it's gonna happen in the next about 36 hours from that peak. So you can get test strips. I don't think it's necessary to always use test strips, especially because these test strips are, this is probably the most expensive part of tracking your cycle, is using these LH test strips. Most apps are free, the, you can get the the very basic thermometers for your basal body temperature. We're going to talk about next on Amazon. I have all of my favorite, um, like test strips. My favorite app is the pre mom app and my favorite thermometer all linked in my Amazon storefront. You can also get, um, like bracelets to wear like the Ava bracelet, or I think it's called temp drop, is another band you can wear at night on your arm. Or if you have an aura ring, you can also track your temperature in your aura ring to um, track your basal body temperature, but I'm getting ahead of myself because we're talking about luteinizing hormone. So luteinizing hormone increases right before within that 36 hour window. So you can buy these test strips and what you would do is you would pee on them. So I keep like a cup that I don't really care about Um, in my bathroom under the drawer. And when I am getting close to when I'm about to start ovulating, I typically ovulate around day 17, 18, and my cycle is typically 31 to 32 days long. If you have a 26 to 28 day cycle, you might ovulate around day like 11 or 12. It just depends. So if you have a longer cycle, it's probably going to be later if you have a shorter cycle, it's gonna be earlier. Okay. So if you're first starting out and you've never really done this, you just have no clue when you ovulate, I would recommend you start LH test testing around day like eight of your cycle. Do that until you get a positive and then a negative one right after the positive. And then you can stop for that cycle and then do it again the next couple of cycles, starting that early. So you can really get. Um, an average of what day you ovulate. Once you get that average and you figure figure it out for your own body, like, okay, the last three times I've done this, I got that positive LH around day 15. Then you can start maybe just testing LH on day like 13, 14, 15, instead of starting at day like 10 or eight of your cycle. You know what I mean? So I usually start testing around day 15 and I usually ovulate around day 18. Okay. So what you're going to do is you're going to get, have a little cup. You're going to have your test strips. Um, the way that I remember to do things is by leaving it out. So when I'm getting close to that time of my cycle, where I know I want to start testing, I take the box of test strips and I put it on the floor next to my toilet. And that's how I remember. Oh, when I go to the bathroom, I see I'm sitting there. I grab the cup. I pee a little bit in the cup and then I unpack the little test strip. It's just like a pregnancy test or like a covid test. You've got your control line. You dip the little stick in your pee and then if there if the second line shows up very faintly, means you're not you don't have an LH peak. If it doesn't show up at all, still no LH. If it shows up just as bold as that control line, that's probably your peak. But you want to do it a couple days leading up to that peak. And then you also want to do it after that peak until the line kind of like starts to fade or disappears again. So you have a good idea of what day that real peak was on. In the app, I use the Premom app. You can upload a picture of your LH test. So you can upload one a day if you do test multiple times a day because remember ovulation doesn't work on our like daytime clock just because our day starts at 8 a.m doesn't mean we're going to ovulate at 8 a.m you could ovulate at any time during that period um lost my train of thought again what is up with me i like cannot think today but you want to you know test a few days leading up to that bold line and then a few days after that bold line to make sure that you have that peak and you can upload the pictures into the pre-mom app and it will save them so that you can see the progression of the peak and the boldness of that lh line compared to your control line and then after you know you it goes from bold to um Like not as bold, faded, then you can stop testing and you have figured out your peak. And then in the app, it will give you like a little line, a line graph of your LH going up and down. So then that comes into your basal body temperature. So your symptoms, your cervical mucus and your LH tell us when we're entering our five-day window, when we're entering like our 24, 36-hour window, and then your Basal body temperature tells you after you have ovulated. So remember, in your luteal phase, you are producing progesterone, okay? So progesterone has a heating effect on the body. It is pro-thyroid, pro-metabolism, all right? So having a higher metabolism means that you're going to burn more energy. Your temperature will rise. That's why people that have hypothyroidism feel cold all the time because they have a low or a slow metabolism. So they're not burning as much energy. So they feel cold. Um, so when it comes to your basal body temperature, I recommend you take your temperature every day of your cycle, whereas your luteinizing hormone, you're only doing like right around ovulation. I think you should definitely be, um, Taking your temperature every single day so that you get a you get the hang of it you don't forget um, and it just gives you really good data. So when you're on your period, your temperature is going to typically be low, and then it's going to kind of maybe it'll come up a little bit after your period, but it's going to stay low. And I'm t- your temperature could be anywhere from like 97 to 97.5, upwards of 98. Okay. If your temperature is regularly in the 96s, that is a little bit on the low end and could give some insight to your overall metabolic and thyroid health, just so you know. Um, we want our temperature to be closer to a 98. So your temp will kind of stay around like maybe a 97 while you're in your on your period and then in your follicular. And then after you ovulate and we have progesterone and we're in our luteal phase, that's going to increase our body temp ever so slightly to where when you take your temperature the day after you ovulate, it's going to spike. It's going to be a little bit higher than it was the whole first phase of your cycle. And then it's going to remain elevated until you get your next period. Okay. And then you might see it start to kind of drop as you are about to get your period, but it will overall remain. So if you were regularly in like hitting 97, 97.2, 97.2, one before, and then you ovulate and you see 97.8 and then 98.0, that means you ovulated right there. And the first day that it jumped up, that was the day after you ovulated. And then you want to continue to make sure it stays elevated to confirm ovulation. So then you could take, okay, my ovulation peak happened on day 18 of my cycle. And then the next day, my temperature was the same. And then on day 20 my temperature spiked so that would most likely mean that on day 19 you ovulated because you had an LH peak on day 18 you had a temperature peak on day 20 so that means you most likely released the egg and ovulated on day 19 does that all make sense. I know it's kind of complicated especially talking about it on a podcast without having visuals it's a lot easier to have a presentation and slides in front of me to like show you the graphs that i'm looking at it can be kind of difficult when you're first starting to do all of this to understand and to see the biggest thing that or like the most common question is people will say, hey, I'm not getting a peak in my temperature. Can you look at it? I look at it. To me, I can see a peak, but people are looking for some drastic peak. This is going to be very small. Like I said, going from like mid 97s to 98, from 97.55 to 97.98 is what I'm talking about. So this is also plays into why it's important to have a basal body specific temperature or not temperature thermometer because it goes two points past the decimal. I think that's to the hundredth, right? Instead of the 10th. So your normal, just like if you're sick thermometer, that's only going to give you to the 10th degree or one number past the decimal, 98.5. But these temperature changes are so minuscule that you need to have a basal body thermometer that goes point 00 so that you can see if it changes from 97.55 to 97 point like 62 right because it's such a small thing if it you didn't have a basal body thermometer and you were just using a regular one you might miss that because it's rounding up too much and then you can't really see the data correctly So the spike is not gonna be a crazy dramatic spike, but you will notice it creeps up a little bit and then it stays up after you have ovulated, okay? Now, it's not perfect if you don't sleep well, you're up all night, you have alcohol, or you're sick. That can all prematurely increase your temperature. So that's why it's so important to use all of these methods and not just rely on one alone. Now, I mentioned earlier the LH test strips can be kind of pricey. Um, I can't even think of like how much they are. I want to say they're like $20 to $30 for a box. I don't know how much comes in a box though. I'm thinking like a 30 day supply. Um, But you don't have to do it every single day of your cycle. So that might last you two to three cycles. But I don't like right now, I don't do LH testing because I regularly know where my ovulation is. I will say, Leading up to my wedding, I was like, I absolutely do not want to get pregnant before my wedding and not be able to fit into my tight wedding dress. So I was doing LH test strips then because it was just a little bit more accurate to pinpoint my ovulation versus just my cervical mucus symptoms and my basal body temperature. But I also am dealing with some hormonal imbalances. So things are the more metrics I can... um, Like, count on to tell me when I'm ovulating is going to help me because I have a little bit of low progesterone and elevated estrogen. So, it might, you know, things might vary. Same for someone that has PCOS, depending on the severity of your case and what all you're doing to support your body, you may need some extra, you may need to do all of these um, steps, including the LH test strips, so that you can see all of the metrics because your temperature might kind of be all over the place. So if you have hormonal imbalances, things might be skewed a little bit and I would advise you to use all of these metrics versus if you have a very regular cycle and you've done it several times and you're ovulating pretty regularly around the same day of your cycle, you don't necessarily have to do those LH test strips any longer. Now let's talk about if you're going to get labs, how to pinpoint when should you go get these labs done? Because it just blows my big old brain because I'm so smart. It's a big brain, not a little brain. Um, It blows my mind how doctors will have you run progesterone on day whatever of your cycle and not tell you, hey, you should come in five to six days after ovulation, or you should come in between day like 18 to 21 of your cycle so that we can actually see what progesterone is doing. Because we've talked about this, progesterone's only there in the luteal phase and it looks like a bell curve. It's not like after you ovulate, it's this high and it stays that high throughout the your whole luteal phase. No, it gradually increases, it peaks, and then it gradually decreases leading into your period. So we want to get your blood work done right around that peak of progesterone so we know what's the highest amount that you're producing mid luteal phase. Because if we test too early before ovulation, we can't even see your progesterone levels. If we test the day after ovulation, okay, you might see a little bit, but it's going to look like you have low progesterone because you're not measuring at your peak. You're just a day after ovulation. Or if you get labs done a day or two before you start your period, once again, it's going to look like your progesterone is way too low because it's dropping and about to be at the lowest point of your whole cycle and your period. So it's so important to make sure that you've, you've, get labs done within a range of a few days to have accurate progesterone values. You can get estrogen done whenever in your cycle. There's different ranges for optimal throughout like your period, your follicular phase, ovulatory phase, or your luteal phase for your estrogen. I like to get estrogen at the same time as progesterone because if we're looking for estrogen dominance, we're looking to see, it, are you estrogen dominant because estrogen is normal and progesterone is too low? Or are you estrogen dominant because your progesterone is fine, but your estrogen is way too high relatively to where your progesterone is? So we need to... I like to measure them at the same time, the same day, to see that relationship between the two, to give us insight on what type of estrogen dominance you have. Is it high estrogen, or is it low progesterone, or is it both, right? So the best day to get tested is five to six days after you ovulate. So in order to determine that, you need to follow all of these steps. You cannot just rely on the pre-mom app or the flow app or whatever app you're using. I don't care what one it is to just tell you when you're ovulating. If you're not watching your symptoms, you're not watching your discharge, you're not testing your LH, and you're not taking your temperature. That app is just guessing based on the length of your cycle and the average of what everybody else's length of their cycle is from all the data the app collects from all of its users. It has no actual metrics on your specific symptoms when you're specifically ovulating, right? Right. So you can't just guess based on what the app tells you unless you're inputting all of this information and then whatever the app is predicting, the app has discharge, LH test results, and your temperature to be able to then give you an accurate prediction of, hey, you ovulated on this day, right? And it's not foolproof. It might have been a day one way or the other, but at least it's giving you a roundabout, like, three day span of, like, you ovulated within this three day window, right? So, If you are doing all of that, you can then count ahead five to six days from when your predicted ovulation is, and that's when you can schedule your labs to get drawn, whether that be blood, saliva, or urine. Whatever way you're doing it, you should still be testing during that time of your cycle. If you listen to this and you're like, there's no way in hell I'm doing all that work, Leslie," even though it takes you less time than it does to brush your teeth in the morning, well, I guess you can just use the general rule of thumb of get tested between day 18 to 21 of your cycle. But here's the issue with that. I ovulate on day like 18, most, most cycles. So 18, 19, 20, 21. 21 would only be three, four days later, depending on what time I ovulated, right? So that might not be the best day for me to get labs. And I would actually want to go on day like 23 for myself. So guessing on, oh, go between day 18 and 21 or 18 and 22 is not going to be the most accurate. It's going to be way more accurate than letting the app tell you. But I would still measure all of these things, especially if you're getting labs. Even if you're like, I'm not sexually active, I don't want to track all of this. If you're going to get labs, track it for a couple of cycles to figure it out for the efficiency and the reliability of those lab results so that you can actually come up with a program for yourself or a protocol for yourself to fix any abnormalities in those labs that are causing you symptoms and so that you You don't come to me or somebody else with labs and your progesterone looks like it's 0.2, but it's because you got it tested in the wrong phase of your cycle, right? So it's important to understand this stuff so that you can understand where you're at in your cycle. You can understand if you are ovulating, but you can understand it so you can get pregnant or you can understand it to avoid pregnancy, but also for lab values to make sure those are accurate as well. All right, y'all, that is all I got for you. I was going to kind of talk about fixing estrogen dominance, fixing low progesterone today, but I seriously don't know what's going on. I am about to get my period here soon, and that might be why I can't think straight, but I want to make sure that I don't just kind of rush through it because I'm tired and my brain's not working. I want to make sure I give you all of the information that is super valuable to helping yourself kind of navigate estrogen dominance and low progesterone. So I'm going to make that a whole episode on its own. And I might even bring in another guest to kind of talk about it with me and their perspective of how they approach it in their nutrition practice. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to touch on that today, but I love you all for being here. Please do all the things like share, subscribe, all of all the stuff. I don't even know what you can do nowadays, but please do it. If you're listening please take a screenshot, share it on your IG story and tag me so I can um, put it on my story. I love seeing who's listening. I, it literally makes my heart like so, so happy. And it also helps me to get the word out that this podcast is a thing for anybody that doesn't know yet. So I love you and I will talk to you next episode.